Hi, I'm Jane Velez Mitchell, New York Times bestselling author and TV journalist. And this is Unchained TV's Voice America podcast. For the next hour, you will hear the solution to most of the problems that plague our world. And it's a solution mainstream media ignores, even though it only requires us to make one simple change. Want to know what it is and transform your life? Let's get started. Hi, I'm Jane Velez Mitchell. Welcome to Voice America Radio, Unchained TV, podcast, broadcast. This could be the most important hour of all of our lives because Hermes Sanctorum, who is the CEO and co-founder of the food tech startup Paleo, has come up with a revolutionary product. It doesn't just taste sort of like meat. It is, and correct me if I'm wrong, bioidentically equal and the same as meat, but it does not come from animals, so it's also vegan, which is absolutely extraordinary. So we are basically creating um, meat, the flavor, the taste, the smell, without animals, 100%. This is not a biopsy of animals. It's 100% without animals. So, sir, thank you for joining us. Apologies for that glitch at the top. Let's get started. Tell us about your revolutionary product and company, Paleo. Yes, uh, Jane, thank you for having me here. It's an honor. Uh, Yeah, well, basically we are making animal proteins, but without the animals. If you want me to describe it, describe it very briefly, that's what it is, animal proteins without the animals. So what do we do? Indeed, we don't take any uh, tissue from animals or whatsoever. In fact, we adapt yeast, like yeast that you know from brewing beer, making yogurt, uh, uh, making wine. So we adapt yeast to making proteins that we would like to have. So animal proteins. And these animal proteins, when you add them to a plant-based food, in fact, it it starts tasting uh, more like food. It starts smelling uh, more like food. And it also looks more like uh, like meat. I'm sorry, like meat. Thank you for having me. Yes. Okay. But let me ask you this question. If you're not using animals and you say you can mimic the taste of beef, of pork, of fish, of chicken, there's a half a dozen, even mammoth, which I was like, whoa. Um, if you're not using the animal's DNA to start with, how do you come up with the animal's DNA? I think that was my big question because we know that there's cell-based meat. Uh, chicken was served in Singapore recently that was a cell-based meat, but it started with uh, an animal's, um, let's say, DNA makeup. You're saying you are actually mimicking exactly the animal's DNA makeup to start this process, but you never went and got a biopsy from an animal. How did you manage to do that, sir? Yes, what what we are uh, doing, what we are making is 100% animal free. And you were referring to cultured meat. I mean, just to make clear, I love the idea of cultured meat, but of course you need to start with some material. You need animal cells and you let them grow. If you take that those cells in a uh, suffering-free way, I don't mind, to be honest, but you start from some cells. 
We, on the other hand, we are totally animal free because we, in fact, just use information. I mean, th there is uh, information available uh, of DNA from uh, animals that is historically built up that information. And in fact, when you know the sequence of DNA for a certain protein, for a certain compound that you would like to make, you just insert that piece of DNA in a yeast and that yeast starts producing the protein that you wanted to, to, to produce. That's basically it. So you start from information, you make a small part of DNA, you add that to a yeast and magic, you have your protein that you would like to have. So if this is true, it is truly revolutionary because having been in the vegan space for over a quarter of a century, trying every which way to convince people to give up meat and to go to plant-based while the plant-based food sector is exploding, um, especially among certain demographics, young people, for example, African-Americans in the United States, uh, one of the fastest growing demographics switching to plant-based, but there is a, a section of the public, a sector of the public, uh, generally, but not always older, um, that just refuses. No, this is my choice and this is what I'm making. You're never going, I mean, if I had a nickel for every time somebody has said to my face, you're never going to stop me from eating meat. So this is the solution because you're saying, and I want to clarify this, there are plenty of um, alternative meat products out there that kind of taste like meat. Um, in fact, some of them do use heme. You know, we've heard of the big burger, vegan burger companies talking about heme. Um, you're saying this is different because the Impossible Burger is very meaty. I've actually been in restaurants where I've said, are you sure this isn't a real steak meat burger? Because it smells and looks and, and, and I'm tasting it. It tastes very much like meat, but I don't really know what meat tastes like. <laughs> but it's very close. You're saying this is actually different from even that, which is very close to meat. What is that difference? Well, to start with, Impossible Burger is a, is a great product. And indeed, it contains a plant-based heme. But what we are making is, in fact, an, an animal heme. So it's really identical to what you find in animals. So what we do is we, we make these pro animal proteins through this yeast uh, fermentation, and we do it for several species, basically. So you have like bovine, chicken, pork, uh, lamb, and then also tuna, which is maybe a bit uh, less obvious, but when, when you see uh, a piece of uh, tuna, and I'm sure, Jane, you never eat it, me neither, but when you see it like in the supermarket, you see it's dark red. Well, that dark red color comes from the heme protein in there, the myoglobin. So we are also able to reproduce that one. And then the mammoth, that's the, yeah, the bit, the extraordinary one, uh, it, it started as a challenge, basically. We thought, okay, we can make uh, myoglobins, these proteins, uh, from species that already exist, and we can make it animal-free. But can we also do it for an ancient uh, protein and, and, and a species that doesn't exist anymore? And so we, we started a collaboration with uh, researchers from the Center for Paleogenetics. So what they found is DNA in a very old molar 
like a tooth, frozen tooth, basically. They extracted the DNA. And it, it's like a, a massive amount of pieces of DNA. You, you, it's like a puzzle that you need to make. You start comparing it with species that still exist today that are closely related to a mammoth. And so we, we collaborated with them to find the exact DNA sequence for our protein, for our myoglobin. And in the end, we succeeded. So we actually can make mammoth myoglobin, so mammoth uh, protein that is uh, an important part of, of meat for tasting it, for experiencing it. Let me ask you, just to get this out of the way, uh, first of all, what you're producing would be immediately healthier because 80% or more of the antibiotics produced are fed to farmed animals, which is creating widespread antibiotic resistance, which is a new crisis or an emerging crisis or just a crisis. There's also the pesticides and the chemicals that uh, accumulate in the animal's body as they eat huge amounts of food. If you've ever seen farmed animals, they're kept confined um, so that all they do is get fattened up because when you move around, you burn calories. So they're consuming huge, huge, huge amounts of food, which contain pesticides and chemicals. So you're avoiding all that. Um, so it would automatically be healthier. However, the first thing, um, what I would say is Carnus Media is going to say, just like the first thing they said, when Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods hit, well, it's processed. Now, uh, do they talk about the fact that processed meat is officially cancer-causing according to the World Health Organization? No. So as soon as you come up with these new breakthrough products that disrupt the system, they're going to try to throw a monkey wrench into them. And I can hear, just hear the newscasters and these hosts say, well, it's genetic modification. What is your response to that? Yeah, well, to start with, um, I also hear that argument. Yeah, but what about the ultra-processed foods? Well, what we are making is exactly 100% identical to what you find in nature. It's exactly what you find in, in conventional meat. You just make it without any suffering and any uh, environmental impact that is destroying the planet. That's what it's uh, about. And of course, um, I also hear, uh, as you were mentioning before, I also hear a lot of consumers saying like, yeah, I, I also understand that uh, the meat production as, as is happening today, it's not sustainable, but I like it so much, right? The taste is, is, is great, I'm craving for it. So we are very pragmatic with that. I mean, I don't need meat in my life. I don't need fish in my life, but it's a small percentage of the population, let's face it, that doesn't want meat at all. But there is a, a large group of the population that is that likes meat, but at the same time, they feel a bit of discomfort. Like we know that it's not 100% okay to, to eat it. And that's exactly the, the, the group that we are aiming for. If we can make a plant-based food, make more taste like meat or fish, and even make something exotic, like uh, something that is more like mammoth, well, then we, we find access to, to people that are still craving for that meat taste, right? I'm, I'm sure that vegans and vegetarians, I mean, some of them will say, we don't need a product like that. And that's totally fine because they already deserve a medal for being a vegan or vegetarian. But we are aiming for the flexitarians, the ones that in fact uh, would like to still eat meat or at least 
experience uh, the, 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 the meat taste. And uh, that's how we're going to revolutionize, I think. Oh, I think it's a revolution. We've got some callers um, for you here. Let's start with Kim in Los Angeles. Your question or thought, Kim. Hi, thank you. Um, Wow, this is really exciting stuff. Uh, Thanks for all you're doing. And um, I hope I didn't miss at the very beginning, but I have tons of questions. But my first question is, or the one question that pops in my head is, Where'd you get that name? Because I think of paleo, and I just hate it. I, it's a, a meat-based diet, so I'm just curious what where that came from. Well, uh, in fact, it, it refers to the fact that we go back to the fundamentals of, of food and, and of meat uh, in this case. Well, maybe one nuance, if you look to our paleo diet, the real diet, I mean, there was much less meat uh, in it than, than people assume. We, we are, our ancestors are more uh, frugivores and, and, and there was a bit of shift uh, to eating uh, more meat, but it's not that it was a largest portion of our diet. But that being said, the name refers to going back to basics, go to the fundamentals. Yeah, and I think it's brilliant because you're co-opting the paleo concept where people say, well, it's natural, the paleo man, and you're absolutely right they found some very ancient bones of a human, uh, one of the oldest uh, ever, and they checked because they didn't have dental floss at the time. And between his teeth or her teeth were plants, not meat. And so that's very interesting. The caveman myth of the meat-eating caveman is actually a myth to a large degree. We've got another caller, Lindsay, on hold from Woodland Hills, California. Your question or thought, Lindsay? Oh, she dropped off. Okay. When she comes back, we'll get to her. So um, let me let me get to where this product goes. Like when the product goes into food, it's not going to be a retail product. It's going to be something that is mixed in just like a recipe ingredient. When you make a recipe, you might have some flour and you might have some spices and you might have some veggies. If you were to um, describe how it's going to go into a product, what product would it go into and how would it go into it? Well, we are testing that in in several types of recipes uh, at this point. So you're right. It's an ingredient, uh, what we are making. And it's a very highly functional green. So you only need it like max 1% of your total product. So you add, of course, other types of ingredients, more like bulky, let's say wheat or soy or anything else, pea whatsoever. And then our ingredient makes it in a very small dose, more meaty. That's what it is. And maybe an an, an important nuance on, on that, also referring to your former question about the GMO. We are making a GMO free animal protein. And that's also important. Uh, I, I know in, in the US, it's less sensitive, let's say, on average. But in Europe, if you make a, a GMO product, that's a showstopper. You don't find anything like that in, in, in the supermarket, uh, for instance. So we, we have, of course, a method that includes uh, genetic modification because we adapt the yeast. But we program it in a way that it releases it to outside the cell so we can purify it very easily. So there are no yeast cells whatsoever uh, in, in our final product. It's pure protein. And that's important, especially to have access to the European market 
but also in the rest of the world. I mean, there is increasing awareness uh, about uh, genetic modification. We are talking with Hermes Sanctorum, who is the co-founder and the CEO of the extraordinary food startup Paleo, which literally could save our planet. We know that much of Europe and the United States is in an unbearable, uh, deadly heat wave, wildfires here in the state of California, and we are hearing about wildfires across Europe. Uh, this is the solution. We're going to talk a little bit about how uh, government should be should be jumping all over this and trying to incorporate it. But of course, most governments have been co-opted by the meat, dairy, and pharmaceutical industries. So we'll get to that in a second. We've got a caller, Paige, in Los Angeles. Your question or thought, Paige. Yes. Good morning. Thanks for being here. Um, my question is regarding um, the climate crisis that we're in. I'm seeing so many um, meat industry corporations um, hijacking literally the you know carbon sequestering uh, aspect of their cows on the fields and so forth. How do you combat this with your company, Paleo? Thank you. Yeah, thank you for that uh, lovely question. Well, uh, short answer, the climate impact of our method of production, of our product is way lower, low, lower than meat or fish. And let me explain a bit about that. There is a reason for that. And the short version of that is that yeast is a very, very efficient organism to make something. So if you ask yeast to make a lovely product, it does it in a very efficient way. If you compare that to, for instance, a, a chicken, a chicken is considered as like a meat factory, according to the industry. But even a chicken, I mean, needs to eat a lot in order to, to, to process it, to, to make it like meat. There is like a conversion of, let's say, two kilograms of feet to one kilogram of that animal, of a chicken. And that's highly efficient. Well, the efficiency of, of a yeast is way higher. So you, 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 you can produce it in a very efficient way. On top of it, you almost don't need, don't need any space. I mean, uh, if you consider uh, the, the degradation of the rainforest, uh, the Amazon rainforest, for instance, it's mainly because of ranching. It's because of meat production. On the other hand, fermenters to make animal proteins, I mean, they don't take a lot of space. There is at least a 90% reduction potential over there. Imagine all the land that will be available to nature. That, that's a huge uh, benefit for biodiversity. If we really make a shift from uh, animal uh, production to, to uh, solutions like ours, and not just ours, I mean, we, we need a lot of technologies in order to save the world, but uh, we believe that precision fermentation, our technology is part of it. When do you expect to see your giant vats from what I understand, and uh, this fermentation process occurs first, you know, in the laboratory, you set it up. And then when you start brewing it, you brew it in these massive vats. Uh, I read in your literature that you're saying that your product could be hitting the mainstream next year, 2023, which would be extraordinary. I literally think it could save the planet. I mean, Climate change is not hypothetical or theoretical anymore. People are seeing their houses go up in flames. Thousands of people are dying because they're keeling over from the heat. Uh, it's, 
you know, are we that dumb a species where we can't say, wait a second, there's another way for you to have this substance you crave and here's how it is. And it's um, tastes the same. Eat this so we can actually save this planet from destruction. Have you been in touch with any governments? Because we know that governments essentially are perpetuating the climate crisis by subsidizing the meat and dairy industry to the tune of many, many hundreds of billions of dollars. Um, are they becoming aware that that is sort of basically slow suicide? And since you have a history in politics in, the, in Europe, can you talk a little bit about how you are, A, you know, making connections with private industry and governments to get this crucial product um, into the stores? Yeah, maybe your first question about the, the speed. Well, the, thanks to the fact that fermentation is a very old process, we, we know a lot about it already. Uh, I mean, we've been doing this for millennia. Uh, and we just add some, some more, more recent technology to it. So indeed, the, the scaling up, as you describe it, can go very fast. And that's an important difference compared to cultured meat, for instance. Cultured meat, I mean, great technology, but you start from something that is a proven technology in the medical sector, and then you enter it to the food sector. I mean, it's quite challenging to, to make from animal cells to make meat out of it, right? So fermentation is a much faster uh, and more scalable process, I believe. Uh, your second question on, on uh, the, the, the position of, of governments. Yeah, well, considering my background, I mean, I've been fighting uh, the meat tell us about your Tell years. us about your background and and, in Belgian politics. Yeah, so I used to be a, a member of parliament and a senator in uh, Belgium, and my major battlefields were like animal welfare, sustainability, climate change. So day in, day out, I, I try to, to submit law proposals, to have negotiations, to, to, to move things. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm proud of, of, of certain achievements, for sure, but I also got frustrated after 10 years by uh, the lack of speed. Um, I mean, we need politics, don't get me wrong, but as you all know, uh, and especially when you're in it, it, it's really frustrating, but it goes all so slowly. So that's why I decided to, to change sides and I want to be part of the industry. And to be honest, I also see a lot of people there that want to make things move and that brings enthusiasm to, to yourself, to your team. I mean, you meet, you meet people that also want to change the world. So that's, uh, that, that's fantastic. So uh, I understand what you're saying. Frustrated with government. Uh, ditto for the United Nations. I mean, COP26, they were serving ham sandwiches. We actually, Unchained TV had a correspondent there and we were the only ones to go in and actually show the ham sandwiches on video. But the Washington Post wrote up an article, and certainly they're no vegan publication, and they said, well, if it's a climate conference and they put the climate price tag of each food item they served on the label and the uh, meat dishes were so much higher in terms of their carbon price tag than the vegan dishes, why did they even serve them? So it backfired. But... Uh, we've been told by people in the know that even the United Nations has deals with 
uh, for example, the meat secretariat. So they are also in bed, for lack of a better word, with the meat and dairy industry. So it really is in the hands of private enterprise uh, to come up with the solution. And I really honestly believe I am talking to the person who's going to present that solution, who has presented that solution and is going to bring it to us. I use the analogy of um, horse-drawn carriages, which we'll get to in a second. But Lindsay from Woodland Hills is back. What is your question, Lindsay? Yeah, I'm sorry. I might have missed some of what you guys were talking about. So excuse me for any redundancy, but I was just thinking about how this could be revolutionary in pet food as well, because every time I have to feed my cats, you know, animals, I become so, you know, upset. I mean, I'm looking at it and I'm looking at the pictures on the labels and how they're trying to make it appealing to me. I understand what's going on. And and I just see how this could be revolutionary in that way as well. And maybe that would help to get this into the market quicker. That's just that comment I wanted to make. Brilliant. You're totally right. I mean, uh, pet food production is is a true economic driver of uh, uh, slaughtering. Uh, so, so you're totally right. And well, we don't communicate a lot about it yet, but we're also on a track of pet food. Uh, so we start collaborations with the uh, pet food producers in order to see whether. But yeah, it's it's of course a bit more complicated. Eh? It's a palatability that you need to 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 test with uh, animals. Uh, but but we we're doing that too. So it's a great uh, suggestion. Oh, absolutely! That is a brilliant aspect of this issue because you're right. I look at the meat and dairy industry as a house of cards, and you pull out one card or two cards, and the whole thing can collapse. And one of those cards is pet food. I was told recently, and I don't have the corroboration, but that if American dogs and cats were their own country, they'd be the fifth largest meat-eating country in the world. Uh, But it doesn't surprise me. Everybody in my neighborhood practically has a dog or a cat, and they're all eating animals. So, um, uh, and, and let's face it, animals, when given the opportunity, will grab at meat. I have two dogs, and, uh, you know, I have to watch them for grabbing meat on the street if it's roadkill or something. So I always say we're not carnivores because when we see roadkill, we don't salivate and try to grab the meat. Nonetheless, we've been kind of conditioned or most people have to crave the meat smell. It's ironic because being a vegan and not having grown up with meat around me, I find it noxious when a neighbor's doing a barbecue. Why is that going into my house? But I realize that most people crave that smell. And that's what you're giving, the smell. Um, Guys, I want to say that this is truly revolutionary. If you're watching this, uh, get on board with this because I use the analogy of a horse-drawn carriages. You know, there were people fighting for horse protection back in the time uh, before electric carriages, uh, electric cars, cars. But uh, despite all their efforts, people, because of the economic, um, obviously, advantages of using horses, that was all there was, um, they uh, continued to abuse horses. When the car came along, that eliminated a huge percentage like that, not because people care about horses, but because cars are more efficient. 
We've got one more caller, Sarah in Atlanta. Your question or thought? Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Oh, hi. Um, this is Sarah, and I wanted to find out. Recently, there's been a lot of advertising about, like, oh, this is real milk or this is real meat. And I'm trying to figure out how do you, with your product, try to talk to people about that because most people, I think when they're eating, like I used to eat steak, but I didn't really know that wasn't really healthy for me. I thought, you know, I didn't want to have fake stuff. Right. So what's your um, kind of like comment or answer to that? Thank you so much. Brilliant yeah. question. Go ahead. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, the, the, the thing is, uh, as Jane was already referring to, we're, we have a mighty opponent, of course, uh, an opponent that is like everywhere, uh, has built up a lot of uh, network uh, and also a lot of money. So, of course, um, on one hand, you, you, you have these uh, people in the meat industry that really try to keep everything to themselves, that, that, that try to keep the power because it's also a power game. Uh, and and are trying to to uh, well advertise even against the plant-based meats. For instance, in the European Union, there was an initiative trying to to forbid plant-based food manufacturers to use the name burger or sausage. Imagine, I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Luckily, they they failed. But for sure, that kind of uh, battleground will will show up uh, again. On the other hand, I must also confess, I meet also. People that are like years and even through their family generations in the meat industry. And some of these people realize it needs to change. For instance, we, we are in, in uh, we started a collaboration with a Belgian meat producer that wants to shift from meat to plant-based meat. And of course, that's not from today till tomorrow, but they say like in a few years, we want 50% uh, uh, con uh, conventional meat and 50% plant-based or hybrid meat. I mean, you can say that's not enough, but on the other hand, you, you see that there is something changing even in the, in the meat industry itself. Uh, what, in my opinion, whatever reduces suffering the most, and that is a quote from Gene Bauer, the founder of Farm Sanctuary. We, uh, it's, it's easy for us to say, oh, we will not adopt this because it's not pure... The animals, if you ask a cow or a pig being tortured and going into a slaughter, they'd say, do whatever you can to get me out of here. Okay, we're going to take a short break on Voice America Radio. We're going to stay live on Facebook. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device. 
including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. It's time to unlock some of the best-kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for The Forbes Factor. We guarantee Guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. Welcome back to Unchained TV on Voice America Radio. I'm Jane Velez Mitchell, and you are now re entering a portal to a transformative way of living. gosh, guys and gals, getting back to, here's what I don't understand. You're saying that DNA is essentially like a sequence, an order, just like coding is zeros and ones. And uh, it's just the combination of the numbers that make the code. Um, You're saying DNA is a sequence, but it's also a physical thing. So what is that physical thing and where does it come from physically? Yeah. So DNA, it's what we all have also in our cells, right? DNA is something that codes for proteins. So like inside your cells, it's full of DNA and there are pieces of DNA that tell the cell like, okay, you can make that protein. That's basically how it works. So once you know the DNA code of a certain protein, you can just make that piece of DNA based on the information, you can make the DNA. Once you add that DNA to the yeast, the yeast start making the protein that the DNA is coding for. That's in fact how it works. You see, so you, 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 you use uh, what, 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 what is happening in nature, but you kindly ask the yeast uh, to, to do it for you. Wow, we've got another caller, Simone in Los Angeles. Your question or thought for, Hermes Sanctorum of Paleo. Well, first of all, I just want to say that I think that most animal rights activists, um, including PETA, who I know has given money to to other organizations who are trying to do lab-based meat, has always been um, the alternative that's going to save everybody because it'd be wonderful for people to stop eating meat and making that conscious decision. But for people that don't, this is obviously the answer. And especially, as Lindsay said, for pet food, it, it's, it's huge. Um, none of us want to have to feed uh, suffering animals to our beloved animals. Um, I just had a question about, and I think a lot of people on the uh, text thread came in a little bit late. When you're getting the cells to actually use the, uh, the DNA from the animal, is it a one-time thing it, or is there some reason why you would need to replicate that down the road? But Mm -hmm. I want to clarify, Simone, excellent question. And this is why I think we have to clarify this because people are 
uh, confused about this. There is no animal biopsy ever taken on this. This is different than cell-based meat. There is no animal involved, even on the cellular basis. This is why I'm like, well, wait a second. How do you get it? How do you get it? <laughs> right. I think a lot of people are very confused about that. Yeah. I do so. <laughs> yeah, well, but, but it's okay. true. It's really animal-free. I, I, I want to emphasize that there is no animal ever involved in that. It's just using the, the information. You, if you know uh, a protein of an animal, if you know the sequence, every protein exists like in a, in a sequence of amino acids. And once you know that, you can, in fact, also find the DNA sequence. If you make that DNA sequence, no animal needed. You just make it like in a medium. You, you, you make that DNA, you add that to the yeast, and the yeast makes the protein that is the DNA coding for, right? So, the, so in the end, you have a protein that is identical to what you find in animals, but there is no animal involved whatsoever. That's... Uh, our like unique technology, let's say, uh, we also make sure that in the end, that recombinant DNA, because it's recombinant DNA, in the end that you add to the yeast, uh, that is not present in the product. Because we know that some people feel like, yeah, but I don't want to eat any recombinant DNA. There are also many people that don't care, but there are some people that care. So we make sure that it's pure protein, pure animal protein, GMO-free and animal-free. Pretty extraordinary. Wow. Uh, it's it's um, and Simone uh, happens to be a very good friend of mine who rescues animals all the time, and we're involved together in rescuing animals. She just rescued a whole bunch of cows and chickens, and um, what she's doing, trying to rescue one after another animal, farmed animals. Um, this would eliminate uh, the industry. And um, it's absolutely, I mean, of all the things I've ever heard, it's one of the biggest breakthroughs, I think. So let me ask you, where will this start popping up in 2023? What product? You talk about hybrid meat. Frankly, the entire industry is run by less than 10 companies around the world, probably. Massive companies, all of whom uh, have investigated plant-based alternatives. Some of them have their own plant-based products like JBS has uh, a, a plant-based uh, ground beef that I ate that tastes delicious. It's 100% certified vegan. So they've gotten into the vegan space. They're aware, but according to published reports, I've read they were late to the vegan space. Now they're saying when it comes to um, uh, actual you wouldn't be called cell-based meat. You would. Is there a phrase for your category that we could use? Yeah, good question. That discussion still needs to start, but it's it's uh, precision fermentation, the technology, okay. mm -hmm. uh, and our the scientific term for our product is myoglobin. But myoglobin you also find in animals because that's what makes it taste like meat and and look uh, like meat. But the category naming that is still under discussion. Well, please pick pick a good name because yeah, one of the totally. problems that we have in our movement is. Everything tastes horrible. Like I was talking to this about with our last guest last week, who is developing an also revolutionary project product using microalgae. 
microalgae, which it doesn't taste, doesn't uh, sound like tasty. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't sound tasty. <laughs> I said, then we've got nutritional yeast. That doesn't sound tasty. You've got fungi. That doesn't take, make a, come up with a name that sounds tasty, please. Um, I, I, because that's how, uh, you know, I remember the first time I heard nutritional yeast, I was like, mm, decades <laughs> ago, but it's tasty, but you have to get over that hurdle. So we really have to start coming up with better names for the vegan essential products. But, the, you know, how do we get it into products? What products? Are you working with particular corporations? I understand if you can't name them, but I mean, how many corporations? How are we going to see this hit the market? Yeah, well, we, we are talking to many uh, people in, in the industry, many companies, and I must say there is not one single company that has no interest at all. So clearly it, it, it has potential, uh, but of course, every company would like to test it. I mean, mostly they have their commercial recipes, they are proud of their product, but they also realize something needs to make it better. And then they will try the, the coming months, our ingredient to see what impact it has on their product on their commercial uh, recipe. So that's how it goes, right? So you, these companies try it and when they're happy, then they introduce it into the market. If you're asking me, Jane, like which market will you hit first? That's a very hard one because that will depend on regulatory approval. We need to go through procedures. And in the European Union, it's a, a, a very long procedures. It will take a few years. We know that we won't be under GMO, that's for sure, thanks to our production method that is GMO-free. But of course, we still have to pass certain procedures. That being said, Europe, although that we are Europeans, is not going to be our first market, but we are checking uh, other markets uh, worldwide. Uh, some markets just take like six months uh, for regulatory approval. Uh, that will determine uh, when we will hit that particular market. Smithfield, which is the largest, uh, my understanding is killer of pigs in the world, is owned by a Chinese company that, oh, how wonderful. Now we've got a street sweeper today. Oh, it's all, it's all in the mix of uh, the challenge of getting this information out. Uh, let me start again. Smithfield, which is my understanding, either one of or the largest pig producer in the world is owned by a Chinese company with ties to the Chinese government. Now, my personal opinion is whichever country switches to plant-based, whether it's through you, microalgae, cell-based meat, or a combination thereof, will dominate the next century and actually help the planet survive because one of the overlooked factors of climate change is animal agriculture. It's the impact has been completely suppressed. They talk about fossil fuels. They don't talk about animal agriculture. And frankly, it's, um, it's, it's a crime. It should be a crime. You have the current administration actually announcing they're going to subsidize slaughterhouses more than already the meat and dairy industry is subsidized hugely with an additional billion dollars just announced. So the US government is heading in the wrong direction in this arena. But if somebody could reach China, which obviously has so many people, and 
they are aware. They are aware. But my understanding is that some people in the Chinese government are tied to the meat industry. We just use the example of Smithfield Foods, owned by a Chinese conglomerate with ties to the Chinese government. If you could convince even one company to make that transition, and how hard would it be? They just closed down the slaughterhouse. They announced they're closing down the slaughterhouse here in downtown L.A. because there's protests and vigils all the time uh, outside the slaughterhouse. I've been to many, many of them, and they're heartbreaking. You see the pigs come in in these giant trucks. They're babies. They're foaming at the mouth. Uh, they've been driven for many, many miles and hours without food or water. They're terrified. Um, they closed it down because it was a site of protests. I mean, they they claimed that it was too expensive to operate in L.A., but I'm sure all those protests and all those vigils had something to do with it. And they're trying to move their operations to some remote area in the Midwest. Um but if that one company or JBS or Cargill could be convinced to make this switch, I, I heard that the head of Cargill reportedly said the future of food, of food may be meatless at some point. One of these big heads said it's not you don't have to be a brain surgeon to figure out that eight billion people killing 80 billion animals every year is not sustainable. And we're getting to the point where we have to make this switch within the next couple of years or our planet is going to be unlivable. And it's like that movie, Don't Look Up, when you tell people like this in a frenetic way, they're like, oh, you're so abrasive. Well, <laughs> but I see you connecting with one of these companies because they'll save money in the long run. Raising animals is expensive. Transporting animals is expensive. The price of hay is shooting up. There are animals keeling over in Kansas. There was video of thousands of animals, thousands of cows that had keeled over from the heat. That's going to start to happening everywhere. When the temperatures get too high, there's going to be massive crop failure. What are you going to feed the animals? I mean, these people have to know. If our government doesn't know or has blinders on, they have to know. Wouldn't it be cheaper for them to switch to your product immediately? Yeah, well, my heart bleeds uh, when, when I think of all these uh, animal suffering. I mean, even in Europe, where we have the highest animal welfare standards, I mean, I've been visiting uh, farms, uh, slaughterhouses. It's, it's already horrible. Imagine in a country like China, where the number is much bigger and the conditions are, are even worse. So, so it's horrible. So indeed, I mean, we, we are very pragmatic, pra pra pragmatic, sorry, pragmatic at Palio. We want to become big, that's uh, for sure. And we, we are aware of uh, China, of course, as a large potential market, but it's also a complicated market. I mean, to, to, to start, um, it, it's, it's not so easy just to, to enter over there. Like Singapore, which is much smaller, is always for companies like ours more interesting to start eh? because they, they are very open to innovation. They're not like uh, anti-Western or so it's, it's a bit uh, easier to, 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 to give it a, a, a try uh, uh, already. Uh, about the companies, of course, I cannot disclose any names. It's, it's too delicate uh, for that. But we are really talking to, to major uh, uh, companies uh, worldwide. And, well, let's face it. I don't think they do that to, in, in order to save the world or save the animals because they already produce meat for such a long time. But you see that it, it proves that it's an economical reality. 
I mean, plant-based food is there and it's going to be bigger and bigger and bigger. And even these large companies, they realize that. So they talk to us, they talk to other uh, innovative companies because they don't want to miss that. And that, that proves that it's really going to happen. So um, it, it, sometimes it's hard to be optimistic, right? I mean, you see all that suffering, it, it keeps on going, it even increases. But on the, on the other hand, there is a shift happening, but let's hope that in the end we can just, yeah, uh, like eliminate animal suffering at a certain point in, in our future. How do people invest in your company? Do you have, uh, I know you've gotten millions of dollars of investment, but I would think you should have billions of dollars. I mean, Bill Gates has talked about uh, the problems. John Doerr has talked about the problems. Are you in touch with these uh Billionaires? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, uh, we, we, we talk to a lot of uh, investors. So we are currently doing our Series A, as we, as, as, as we call it. So it's, um, well, we, we already have, had our seed round to finance, uh, finance our first R&D, our research and development, to check for potential clients. But now we're at the cru- cru- crucial uh, stage. We're doing the technical scale-up, like you were saying, like you start small but you want to produce it in large volumes just grams is not going to save the world we need tons and many 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 tons uh, so you need to produce it in the large uh, in large volumes on the other hand you also need to scout for potential clients you need to make collaborations with uh, companies and you need to go for regulatory approval and of course that all costs money i mean the the the, the shift going from meat, conventional meat to plant-based meat is going to cost some money. We need capital for that. So that's why we are indeed raising uh, for our venture round. Uh, Are you getting, I am so honored that you've taken an hour to talk to us. We're almost out of time, but I think this should be on the front page of the Washington Post, the New York Times, uh, The Economist. Uh, are, Are you getting the recognition that you deserve or you know, the media is really a big part of the problem because they're not reporting on this the way they should, because look at the advertisers, you know, um, when it comes to television, the primary vehicle for promoting meat and dairy is television. Um, so are you, are you getting media attention? That's a very difficult question, in fact, uh, Jay. Um, we are getting media attention. But if you would ask me, do you want it to be more? I would say yes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, I, I don't think that people are from the media are trying to shut us down or so. Uh, that, that, of course not. But I, I think it needs still more attention. Uh, all these innovations, what, what's, what's uh, going on? I, I do think there is a lot of potential to, to inform people that we are at the dawn of, of uh, a new wave of innovation. It's, it's fantastic. It, it has so much potential. But yeah, indeed, we, we, we need to be able to speak more about it. Wow. So uh, what about going public? What do you mean by going public? Are, are you planning on going public anytime soon? I mean, I think there's a lot of people who would love to invest in this. Remember, uh, obviously, the market's really um, hurting right now. But when Beyond Meat went public, it was a major game changer for our movement. It shot up. Obviously, it's come back down to earth like a lot of stocks. But are, are you considering going public? 
Well, at a certain point, I wouldn't mind, to be honest. But it, it's mostly at a bit later stage that you, you do such an, an, an IPO, as, as, as we call it. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I think we will first go through a few venture rounds in order to make your, your company really established, like you're re really able to... yeah. You, to, to, to make a lot of volumes, to, to provide a lot of product to clients. And, uh, and then, yeah, I wouldn't mind to go public in that case. So um, when can we expect to see the first product? We've only got a couple of minutes left. The first product, uh, when can we anticipate this? Well, we are already able to produce it, of course, but it's in, in small volumes. So that's why we're scaling up. I believe technically we would be able to, to offer our ingredient to manufacturers that want to, to make a plant-based food. Uh, we are able to offer that uh, next year. But the big question will be the regulatory. I mean, if, if the government tells us, wait a minute or wait a few years, uh, let, let's first see. And, and that, that's going to be a problem, of course. On the other hand, if a government is supportive, then it can go fast. Wow. Uh, I know that France had uh, tried to um, basically this whole idea that you can't call meat, meat, uh, vegan products, meat, even though you have nut meat. I mean, it's it's absurd. I think it's a sign of desperation on the part of the meat and dairy industry that they're trying to do this. They tried to do it in California. They lost. They tried to tell Miyoko Shinner she couldn't say the word butter and they lost. Um, do you think they're going to shut you down or is there a company, excuse me, is there a country that aside from Singapore uh, that you think would be the breakthrough country? Well, I, I think that um, yeah, a lot of countries, including in, in Europe, are, are open to this. But of course, if, if you consider Europe, it's a very complicated continent. Uh, you mentioned France. Uh, mostly in, in this kind of discussions, it's very conservative and it's uh, like, yeah, but it's all about meat. But on the other hand, you have other countries like the Netherlands where they, they, they are very progressive also in politics concerning that topic. So it's, it's, it's a bit hard to predict, uh, to be honest. Uh, but of course, we hope as Europeans that we will also eventually <laughs> uh, hit the market in, in Europe. I'm sure it, it, it will happen, but I also hope that it will happen fast. I want to thank you so much, Hermes Sanctorum, CEO and co-founder of the food tech startup Paleo. Uh, I am so honored and excited about this product. I can't wait till it hits the shelves, and I really think it could save our planet. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week.